there. All right, <laughs> let's get started. We've been talking about it before. A lot of you could be starting new things. Some of you are like New Year, Shmoo. Some of you have graduated university, you're going on to new roles. Some of you have graduated in your relationships and different things are happening for you. Some of you, you're, you're looking at your tiny little baby who is now four or five and you're like, what? They're going to school? Uh, and that's pretty scary. So there's so much stuff at this time of the year, so many feelings and emotions that, you know, take our minds in different places. And sometimes we just want to break from thinking at all, but we want to challenge you today to refocus, to start this year refocusing on Jesus. Now, a question, how many of you raise your hand if, you have ever squinted to make something come into focus. Raise your hand if you've ever squinted to make something come into focus. Okay, I can say that I've done that. All right, raise your hand if you have ever moved something further away from you to bring it into focus. Move something further away from you to bring it into focus. Wow, Christian, you young guys. <laughs> that only have, um, have, how many of you have bought a pair, have got a pair of glasses and uh, gone out somewhere or someone's tried to show you something on their phone or a little tiny pamphlet or maybe a menu and you've realized you've forgotten those glasses and you've just gone, no chance. I'm not going to be able to read anything like that. I will answer for Neil. In those cases, he's taken a picture of it on his phone and then just like blows it up on his phone so he can see. All right. How many of you have a pair of glasses that you bought, but you never actually carry them with you because you... Yes. Anyway, I'm, I'm down for that sometimes. Refocusing. Losing focus sometimes is something that can creep up on us in a, in a physical sense. When you get to a certain age in life and all of a sudden dim lighting is not your friend or that just... Or you may get in the settings of your phone and you get into the messenger settings and you just increase the font so you don't have to move your glasses. But refocus or loss of focus, sorry, sometimes creeps up on us. And I think it's the same in our spiritual lives. Sometimes a loss of focus on our spirituality or a loss of focus on our relationship or our connection with God is something that can creep up on us and we may not even notice until possibly a crisis comes along or something in that way. But I think it's worth saying, let's take a moment, let's take the time at the start of a new year to refocus on Christ. But before we go into the passages that we're going to have a look at today, I would love for someone in our congregation to read our prayer for us. This is what we've been doing. We started last year and we want to continue that on into this year. We want to make sure that you guys feel like this is a safe, that is happy. We'll all bow our heads. And um, if there's someone that's happy to say our prayer for us that's on the screen, we'll love that. Anyone brave? 
and I'll whack their hand up today to do it. Everyone's squirming. There's a lot of, yeah, someone's putting someone else's hand up. <laughs> yes, you'll give it, oh, yay, amazing. Let's pray together. Bow your heads. Amen. Thank you so much. I, a few years ago, a lot of years ago, actually, we went on safari. I think I've spoken about it before. Neil and I went on our very first Stormco, and it was our first year of marriage. We didn't have a lot of money. In fact, Mel Lemke helped us by um, paying for most of us and said, you can pay us back, you know, whenever. And he half financed our trip. And I think by a year and a half later, we'd paid him back. But we went to Africa and we ran a storm co over there. We did some street ministry. We did a lot of community service, built some playgrounds, picked up a whole heap of rubbish in, in a lot of different um, housing communities, which just blew my mind. I've never seen uh, life played out in such a poverty-stricken way. It was the first time for me that I had seen anything like that. It was an amazing trip. I love, love, loved it. And one of the highlights for most of us at the end is we spent a few days in Hwangi National Park. So we went on safari. And there was, I think we only had about three days, and there's really strict rules in the National Park uh, where we were that the guides had to be out, we had to be outside of the park by a certain time of day. And if they hadn't got their uh, tourists outside of the park by a certain time of day, then there would be a really big fine, which most of them wouldn't be able to afford. So... We would spend these days, and you know, you get there for the first time, and it's like, oh my goodness, there's a baboon, until like by on the third day, you're like, oh man, there's so many baboons, I wish I'd just get out of the way so I can see something else. And then one day, we, we came round a bend, and they screeched on the brakes because there was a giraffe in the middle of the road, and we all stopped, the cars behind us all stopped suddenly, and we're just like, there's a giraffe in the middle of the road. Like, there's a giraffe in the middle of the road right there. It was amazing. Everyone was taking photos. And the kind of the challenge was put out, in particular, a big cat. That was everyone's to-do wish list. Everyone wanted to see lions. And we hadn't seen them yet. And our guide was like, we know where they are. You know, I hope basically talk together. So, you know. Uh, and we were, we were traveling one day, and one of the guys that was with us, his, well, his name is Pinky, and he had, this is, you know, before you, like, take a picture on your phone and look at it straight away, and he, he apparently, we hear that Pinky has seen a cheetah, and we're like, What? Pinky's seen a cheetah? No one's seen anything like that. No one else saw the cheetah. And we're like, Pinky saw a cheetah. He so did not see a cheetah. No one saw a cheetah. The guide didn't see the cheetah. Pinky didn't see the cheetah. And he's like, I did, I did. You wait, you wait till you see my photos. And we're like, there ain't going to be nothing in your photos but brown grass on brown dirt. Pinky didn't see a cheetah. And everyone kind of had this whole, man, if he did, man, that would have been a good moment. 
If he'd seen a cheetah like run across in front of the Jeep, man, that would have been awesome. What a story. Like that, was an, that would have been an all-time great story. But no one believed it. And we drove out on the end of our last day, on the end of our third day. And just as we were leaving the park, we saw a pride of lions. And everyone got photos of the lions. And that was really exciting. So we all got our kind of big cat moment, but we all shared it together. We were all there together. So there was no real like, yes, I got the shot of the trip. But Pinky still held on to the claim that he he didn't see a cheetah. There was heaps of us there. We all would have seen it. There was no cheetah. But we talked about how at dinner and breakfast the next day, we talked about how, how would it have been to have that moment that you saw something that nobody else did? It could have been awesome. It could have been great. And when I reflect on those moments of being over there, I think of our spiritual journeys, our walk with God, and I wonder if we look back on what's happened in the past, maybe you've had some highlight moments. Maybe you've had some real spiritual highs, but maybe you're not quite there now. And you look back and think back to those moments of gone, oh, that could have been a great moment. Oh, man. If I'd have followed on that pathway, God and I could have done something really good together. Or if I'd have concentrated more, or if I'd have just done this, or if I'd have done that, that could have been a really great moment. And sometimes we let really great moments slip us by because we look at the people around us and go, oh, well, I'm not going to invest in that because look how awesome that person is. And so our could have been awesome moments and connections, we often don't even step into sometimes because we think there's someone else way better than us that will step into it. And so we miss and sometimes look back or reflect on, oh man, God and I could have been so good. If only I'd kept on doing that or if only I'd kept on making that connection. But maybe there's some of you here today going, I don't actually really resonate with that at all. I'm like a rock solid kind of connected person. I, my spiritual journey is like even keel. It's high all the time. And if that's you, then I hope the story that we engage with today inspires you enough to go where I am, that real solid connection, that real great spirituality, this is something that I can gift someone else. This is something that I can use to help someone else on their journey. So you might be great where you are, and I want you to hear this story from that perspective and go, how can I look around and help someone else? But if maybe you're not great, if maybe it, your spiritual walk is not exactly where it is, then I want you to take heart from this story today. So I want you to open up your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you and you want one, raise your hand and Ethan will grab one for you if you need a Bible. Um, I'm just, I'm just going to nominate random. Next week it's going to be you two. I'm going to nominate someone else to get the, get the Bibles. But if you want a Bible, just wave at Ethan and he will. we would love for you to have one. Take it home with you and keep it with you. What do we do when we find that our life is in a spiritual funk or maybe we just can't get ourselves back on track. What do we do? How does God perceive us in that moment? Does he look at us and go, 
at the start of 2023, you were really good, you've slipped, I'm disappointed. How does he perceive when we, we draw away from him or when our lives get so complicated that we lose focus on him? So in your Bible, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 22. And the good news that you're going to hear today in this story is that failures and setbacks that we have in our spiritual journey, they're not a surprise to God. He doesn't just go, whoa, I didn't see that coming. He sees us. And we get a beautiful picture of how he perceives our setbacks in this story. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 22. And we're coming to kind of the pointy end of Jesus' ministry. It's in the New Testament, halfway through, you know, kind of past the halfway mark of your Bible. And what has happened preceding these verses is that Jesus has triumphantly entered into Jerusalem, you know, all hailed as a king. People actually were blaring, declaring, screaming, shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord in Luke 19.38. He he's coming in and gone, yay. All of his followers are like, this is it. This is like something big is going to happen. Your kingdom is going to happen right now. But to a certain group of people, this made him even more, made Jesus even more a threat to them. To the chief priests, this entry of Jesus as some herald king was very disturbing and they were unhappy about it. In fact, one of Jesus' disciples had, before we get to our verse in 14, had secretly made a pact with the chief priests that he would betray Jesus. So that's what was coming. Jesus asked his disciples to go and set up for him the Passover meal, the feast of unleavened bread. And so the prep was made. It was in an upper room, all decked out, ready to go for a meal. And Jesus and his disciples are gathered there. And we pick up the story in Luke chapter 22. And we are going to start at verse 14. Um, Neil, if you want us to scroll through this for me while I read, that would be great. Okay, so Luke 22, and we're going to go down to verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God." Jesus is taking this opportunity to invite his disciples in again to what was going to happen in the future. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray the hand well, sorry, but the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. Can you imagine sitting in this space, having this bizarre 
talk at the meal, Jesus is, is letting them know that the final, like the kind of end of his life on earth here is coming to an end. And in fact, he goes even deeper into saying, hey, and you know what? Someone's going to betray me and it's actually the person whose hand's touching my hand. Like, how do you feel as the other disciples that are there. Do you even understand really what's going on? I imagine there'd be some among there that are just like, have we said grace? Can we start yet? Those dates look really, really awesome. I'm hungry. And it may have gone over their heads. Um, And then, uh, uh, where was I up to? Someone tell me the verse. 22? The Son of Man will, thank you, will go as it has been decreed. But woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them, anyone who has parents and more than one child, this conversation um, might be familiar to you. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this, or not that conversation. That's, let's hope that's not happening in your house. But later they have a conversation. Now, a dispute rose among them as to which of them was considered to, the great, to be the greatest. How many of you who have children have had their children go, who's your favourite? Basically, this is what's happening in here. I just, you know, you've got your own ways of dealing with it. I'm like, if I'm with one single child, then of course that person's a favourite. You've got no one to argue with. And if you're with someone else's, then everyone says the youngest, right? Happens so often. All right, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as one who serves? You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So we'll stop there for a second. There's a whole heap of chatter, much like the chatter that's going up the back at the tables, which is making it hard for you to listen right now. But This is what happened. They're all sitting around there. They're all having a conversation. And I think for some of them, it's quite lost on on what is going on there. But then Jesus kind of alludes, explains to them that, you know what, there is a task ahead of you. I'm not going to be here forever. There's a task ahead of you. I'm inviting you into it. But I don't want you to rule like other rulers rule. There are people right now that govern God's people, that govern all people, and they don't do it well. They say they do, but they don't. I don't want you to be those kind of people. And you can imagine the chatter that's going on them. Oh, yeah, I know this guy. You should hear what he said. Oh, yeah, I won't be like that. I won't be like that. And they're talking each other. And then this is the verse. This is the part we want to hone in on. This brings verse 31, this tells us who we're concentrating on today. And Jesus says, 
Focus shifts to Simon. Simon, Simon, Simon Peter. So you'll hear both of those names. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. Stuff is going to happen. In fact, Satan is at play here. And he is potentially going to put all of you through the ringer. All of you are going to come up against stuff that's hard, stuff that's difficult, things, people, systems that oppose you. It's going to be tough in the coming days. And this is what he's explaining to his disciples and particularly Simon Peter. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fall And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And you imagine Peter going, well, that just got real personal really quickly. Like now you're talking about me, like like when I fall away, like when I come back, like I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to go anywhere. In fact, he goes on to say, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. His spirituality, his connection with Jesus at this time is so rock solid that he even declares in front of others, man, that will never happen to me. I'm like all in, like musketeer. I'm with you until the very end. I'm in, I'm in, I'm there. I'll defend you to the death. I'll be in prison with you. And then Jesus, I imagine with a gentle, compassionate and somewhat strained, heart-searing voice says, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you even know me. Here's this guy that declares he's been on mission with Jesus for so long. And then he has this epic declaration of, oh my goodness, no, I'm not going to fall away. Like there's no threat to my spirituality. There's not a thing in the world that could disconnect me with you. And then Jesus gently and politely says to him, mm-hmm, well, you know, wait till you hear that rooster because it's going to be tough for you. And I love, and I actually had it before studying this passage for today. I'd actually read this story many a time, but missed 31 and 32. I'd missed the section, 32 in particular, where Jesus is saying, before this event has even taken place, before Peter even has a doubt or a second thought, Jesus says to him, but I have prayed for you, Simon. I'm praying for you, Simon Peter, that your faith may not fall. It's going to be tough for you. And I'm praying that you're going to be okay through it. But you know what? When you come back from it, when your separation, when your distance between you and I has happened, my prayer is that when you come back and that when we connect together, Can you please use your experience to help other people? Can this be useful? And 
I think it's so amazing to see such a beautiful picture of how God responds to the way we lose our refocus. So here's the first one of the three points I want you to remember today. Focus on this. This is what I want you to focus on. Jesus is for you just like he was for Peter, even when he knew what Peter would do, even when he knew that when Jesus, I, I can only imagine, would have longed for his followers to go, I'm with you. Oh my goodness. If you're taking Jesus, take us all because we're all in for him. I can imagine that's what, that's what I would have wished for if I was a leader but even when he knew that wasn't coming, Jesus already had promised Peter that I am for you. I'm praying for you. And I know the potential that you have. When you come back and our relationship is back together, you're going to use it. You're going to do amazing things. People's lives are going to be better for it. And then now I want you to stay in that chapter but jump down to verse 54. And this is the part where the meal is finished. Jesus knows that he's going to be crucified. He goes out to a garden, takes some of his followers with him, and he, um, you know, he starts praying. Then he is, Judas comes, betrays him. He's arrested and then we pick it up at verse um, uh, 54. And this is what happens. Then seizing him, they led him away, Jesus, and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when someone there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl looks over at him, seated there in the firelight, she focused on him, looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. He was one of the ones that was with him. But Peter replied, woman, I don't even know him, he said. I wonder if the first time he said that, it was like, oh, I said I'd be with you to the end. I wonder, maybe it didn't. Maybe the situation was just, oh, that was a close one. I don't want to be dragged off there as well. And then it keeps going. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. And then about an hour later, another asserted their voice. Certainly this fellow was with him for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The, it says here in 61, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. There's a moment after he's denied Jesus three times and then they hear the rooster crow and Jesus turns his face and Peter turns his face and they have eye contact. There's a moment where they realize where Peter goes, hmm, I've done it. I've done what I thought was just impossible. I've done what I thought could never happen. It's beneath me. It's below me. I love him too much, but I have done it. He had denied him three 
times. And I wonder how he felt with that connection, that eye contact moment. And I hope that Peter felt in that moment what we get to feel when we, when we want to look at Christ, when we want to understand how he loves us. There's this connection that goes, I know you're going to make mistakes. It's going to happen. I know that you can and you will lose your focus. It will be lost. There will be times in your life where your connection with Jesus will be lost. We've let stuff creep into our lives. We've been so busy or we've had a tragedy or a trauma which makes us look at God in a different light and we break away. And if you can't remember ever feeling that, I guarantee you that you will know one, two, three, maybe five people that do understand it. And they would love to lend your faith and your strength in that moment when they don't have your own. But what we need to focus is on that Jesus is for us even when he knows that we will make mistakes, that our focus will be lost and we can move on knowing in confidence that he knows us and he knows what's about to happen. So our final passage, I'm going to just skip over to John. So to the next gospel. So move a little bit further on in your Bible. And we're going to go to John 21. And in this final passage, Jesus has been crucified. He's been buried. He's risen again. He's appeared to his disciples. He's also appeared to some other people at that time. He's communicated to his disciples that, you know, I'm risen now, but I'm going back to heaven and, and I'm sending you out on mission. So you need to be aware of, you know, you've got a big job to do here. People need to hear about this saving grace that Jesus offers. And we're going to go down to chapter 21 and verse 21, uh, verse 15, sorry. And Jesus finds them along the Sea of Galilee. So the disciples have been out fishing in the night. And when you read about this passage, there's actually some commentators that say, oh, they're fishing. That means they've given up on God. They've just gone back to their, you know, I'm so sick of this. I've gone back to becoming a mechanic or a fisher. There isn't actually evidence to say that they've given up on God, so they've taken up, you know, their old career. But what we know from the scripture is that they are fishing. It's not unlikely that while they were waiting for uh, further instructions, they could, they could have just been fishing for themselves or their immediate families. But this is where Jesus finds them in a boat. They've gone out overnight and they've caught zero. Raise your hand if you have gone fishing and know the agony of catching nothing. I have. In fact, the greatest agony that I have experienced this was on Fraser Island. And everyone goes, fishing on Fraser Island. Like, there's a song about it, fishing on Fraser Island. There's no fish on Fraser Island. None that liked our bait. Anyway, so we did not catch fish. There's agony. So they've been out all night. They're working hard. They haven't caught any fish. They're bringing their boats in in the morning, and someone sees a figure on the beach. And they're like, whoa, what is that? Oh, I don't know. Who is that? That's someone. And then they hear... 
a voice that yells out to them, hey, have you caught any fish? And they're like, no. Thank you for now making us declare this to the world. No, we've caught no fish. And then the voice from the beach says, well, put your nets on the right side of your boat. And I wonder if they start ticking over in their mind. Hang on, I've heard heard this. It's a bit of deja vu. Like, haven't we been in this situation before? And they had when, when Jesus had called them the first time. So they throw their nets over the boat and then they to the right side and then they bring in this amazing haul and one of them goes, shouts out, that is the Peter closed himself. But what actually probably would have happened was when they were fishing, they had like minimal clothing, maybe like a cloth and um, historians say that he, what he did was he was in the boat, he grabs his cloth, tucks it up into itself, and he's so keen to see Jesus, he doesn't wait for the boat to get to shore. He just dives in and starts swimming, and he's ahead of the boat, and he's swimming to the beach. And when he arrives on the beach, we see Jesus has prepared breakfast for them. And the disciples sit down, they have breakfast with Jesus, and this is where we pick up the story in verse 15. They've had breakfast, and then the focus shifts again, the spotlight, on to Peter. When they had finished eating, so this is verse 15, chapter 21, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And you're like, more than these? Is he talking about the fish? Is he talking about his friends? Is he talking about his brothers? Is he talking about the sand, the sunset? What's he talking about? He's questioning him. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And then Jesus says, we'll feed my lambs. And we know, and he would have known from the way Jesus spoke before, that he means his people. Again, Jesus said, To Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus says, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, by this time, Peter's like, come on. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love, love you. And then Jesus says, feed my sheep. And then he goes on to have a little explanation of very truly, I tell you, and he tells him a little bit of how what will happen to him in the future and how his death will occur. And then he finishes at the end of chapter 19 and he says, follow me. Jesus catches them, finds them on the beach, brings their catch in. The focus shifts to Peter, who probably at that point in time still has that slight awkwardness of, you know what I've done, I know what I've done, I said I wouldn't do it, but I did do it. And it shows us the last thing that I want you to focus on, that Jesus brings restoration He's in the business of restoring lives, of restoring relationships. Jesus is for you. He knows you. He actually knows the times when you're going to lose focus, the times when you're most vulnerable. And in that moment, he says, I'm actually already praying for you. I'm on your side. I'm advocating for you. And then when there's that time when you're ready to come back into that close connection with me, then Let's do it. I'm here 
to be restored with you. And in fact, after that, can you do some great things? Can you do some great things for me? Can we partnership together? Jesus invites us to continually follow him, even if that means you have to start over again. You've had hiccups or disruptions. But here's the thing. You can start again if you let him. Jesus is a gentleman. He's for you. He knows the mistakes that you're going to make, but he's not going to drag you and say, sit beside me, walk beside me, and everything will be all right. He just wants to offer that to you. He wants to restore that to you. Now, our safari, this was the days, like, you know, as I said, when we were much younger and you had to wait for your film to get developed and... Um, then you had to wait to actually see that person again because you didn't just put it on the computer. And I feel like, I wonder if Peter had a moment of going, that could have been great, me and God. We could have been great. Like I was on the track to rise to the leadership of this new church. And then I fell away. But then Jesus restored that moment. What could have been the best and most amazing photo of all time, what could have been the moment of, (laughs) I got the photo of a cheetah, turned out like this. He sent us this one, and then he sent us this one. Can you see the cheetah? Pinky saw a cheetah. Pinky saw, he wanted to make sure that he got a photo and in a tiny moment when something zoomed past him, he wasn't even sure if he saw it himself, even though he said he was 100% sure. He just got his camera out, clicked it and went, that's it, I hope that's there, I saw a cheetah, I saw a cheetah. He got a great moment. He got a moment that he thought, man, if this comes off, this is going to be an epic photo. This is going to be great because I've talked it up for a really long time. And I want you to remember Pinky and his photo. I want you to remember those three things that there's going to be times where we think we've missed out, where we think we've gone too far away from God, where we think we've stuffed up, we're not good enough or whatever it is, or we just don't even have time for God, that he understands that your focus will be lost and he's in the business of restoring himself to you. And he wants your help for other people to feel that same restoration process. So the challenge I'm laying down for you, if you were um, scrolling on Facebook this morning, hoping that you didn't have to get up anytime soon, you would have seen our refresh post that I have a 45-day challenge for you. There's some bookmarks and some paper at the front, or it's online already for you. I want to challenge you to start this year by spending 45 days reading through the Gospels so that you can refocus on Jesus Christ for you and for the people that God is going to send into your pathway so you can be someone that helps restore people back to Christ. So that's my challenge for you. If you have some great stories that go along with it, come and tell us, but let me pray for you today. Father God, we thank you so much that you love us, you're for us, you know the mistakes we're going to make, but you in preparation for our restoration are praying for us, you are on our side, you love us. Help us to start this year to refocus with you and to connect with others and help them to see you more clearly in your name. Amen.